I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. Happen in this life, in this world, in in your time frame of living, than to see a man or a woman who lived a life of of, of a lie, who lived a lie and 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 the dream of the world, who lived a lie and destroyed their pathways and destroyed their their relationships with drugs or with alcohol that destroyed all that was good in their life, there's no greater miracle than to see that man or that woman come down to a place in the altar and say, God, forgive me, and have their their, their sins forgiven and and to go down in that blessed name, that healing name of Jesus where it, it heals the soul. And it takes the power of sin away so that they can live a godly life. There's no greater miracle today. We, we look for the signs. We look for the wonders. We look for the great exposures of God's power in the world. And yet the, the, the power of God to take an individual life and to, and to change it from what was corrupt, to change, for, change it from what was damaged and something that, into something that was beautiful into something that is holy, which into something that is worthwhile. What a powerful testimony. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to turn to two very short sections of Scripture. Uh, in Genesis 44, if you'll turn to Genesis 44, and then I'm also going to read out of John 15. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I am uh, honored to be here this morning, and uh, in Genesis 44, and starting with verse 30, I'm going to read a very familiar section of scripture. It says, "Now therefore, when I come to thy fa- thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us." seeing that his life is bound up in the lad's life. It shall come to pass that when he seeth the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman, a slave, to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. For, I, for how shall I go up to my father, and the lad not be with, it, with me? Lest preadventure I see the evil that shall come to my father. In John 15 and verse 13. It says, God, excuse me, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life. Let's, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. We've already heard of the power of change. We've already heard of the great testimony of your love. We've already heard of how you're still living and moving today in the lives of people who need you. Lord, we, we 
enter into a spiritual covenant with you. We enter into this time of hearing the Word of God and we ask God your blessings upon it. We ask that God that you would minister unto this body of believers, God, who have, who have opened up their hearts and their spirits to you, Lord. And we ask that you would do a mighty work here this morning, not because I preach, Lord, but because your spirit is moving. I ask your blessings upon this time, upon this word. I ask in Jesus' name that you anoint my thoughts and anoint this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I am uh, let me start out this way in saying that when I was approached uh, this last week, Brother Hill came to me and he, he said, "Brother Davis, uh, we're not going to teach on Sunday morning. I want you to preach." And so I thought about it, and I said, "Okay, he said." Um, you, you take and you, you follow God's leading and, uh, you know, if there's something that you feel like the Lord is leading you, uh, then um, I want you to, to, to preach it. And I thought about it and uh, I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it and uh, put it in the Lord's hands. And so all week long I have, I have prayed and I've sought God for this, this morning. It's, uh, it's a different time because... I'm not teaching this morning out of a manual. I'm not following the protocol that uh, follows the next lesson, but I come this morning with a thought that the Lord has laid upon my heart. I started down a path of thought uh, yesterday. I thought this is where uh, God was going to lead me, and as I studied the lesson and studied the, the, the message, God started taking a different route. And, and I struggled with it for a little bit, and so I gave in to the Lord, and um, I have what I feel is what God wants to say this morning. You see, we've entered into a spiritual covenant with God, you and I. We have signed on the dotted line, and we've said, okay, Lord... If you save me, I, I, and fill me with the Holy Ghost, I, I, I'll live for you. We've said, I will, Lord. How many of us have also labored at an altar wondering, where is my soul going this morning? Where, where is my life headed? Where is, where is the path that, that I'm going to take to change what's going on in my life? And there, there's always a mystery about when the next day in our lives of what's going to happen and we, we, we don't know but when we come to an altar God changes our path we're not following that same pernicious way that, that God has allowed us to do when we follow our own will and our own ways but God when He fills you with the Holy Ghost He, he gives you a new highway to walk a highway called holiness God has so graciously, graciously allowed us to receive an, a, a, a redeeming touch upon our souls that when sin has touched our lives, we, 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 we set it in the hands of God and God takes that hand and that, that sin and He throws it away as far as the east is from the west. 
I too know the joy of seeing a man in prison going down in the name of Jesus and coming up a different individual. Brother Eldar and I can testify of times in our county jails that that we have ministered and seen men change their lives, change the course of their lives for a better path. God is so great, no greater love than a man than this, that he laid down his own life for his friends. This story, this thing that I have, this message that I have, it comes out of our daily bread. And William and Mary Tanner were crossing a railroad track some years ago when Mary's foot slipped and became wedged between a rail and a wooden crosswalk. Frantically, she tried to get loose as a train approached around the curve. Her husband attempted to free her as the express came closer and closer with its screeching brakes. Mary realized that the train couldn't stop in time, and so she said, Leave me, Bill. Leave me, she cried. Seeing that his efforts were useless to free her, he arose quickly and held her, held her in his arms to protect her as much as possible. And while the bystanders shuddered in horror, the train thundering over them, it was reported that just before the, the engine hit this couple, that they heard the, the man cry, Mary, I will stay with you forever. One of the greatest examples of love in, in the Bible is found very early in the beginning chapters of the Word of God. And it's found in Genesis 2 and 24. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Love is such a wondrous thing. It's a, it's a powerful thing. Love without a person could... And would turn somebody into having a bitter and a hateful spirit. It is love that causes a mother or a father to sacrifice so much for their child to have more than what they had. It's a love that sacrifices all that is beyond the, 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 the reasonable and saying, I give this to you. One of the beautiful things about love is, is seeing a young love develop that when this, these couples come together, the, the development of that, of that relationship in the very early stages of, 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 of growing together, they, they, they learn how to look at one another, they learn how to laugh, they learn how to hold hands, they, they learn how to, 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 to socialize with one another in, the service, in, in, in their walk. And uh, they, they, they learn to become a couple. They, they learn what the likes and the dislikes are. They learn how to please one another and to make one another joy. The, uh, the, the, the wonderful things about uh, a young love is how it grows into a, a maturing thing. And that is one of the reasons why when, when a couple will circumvent the dating process, that is one of the reasons why when a young couple will, will move beyond the socializing and, and the growing together and move into the physical realm that is cut short. 
And they, they, they're, 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 they're working on something that should have waited a long time down the road so that they could learn that this person is compatible with me and I want to spend the rest of my life with them. Young love is so precious because it speaks of hope. It speaks of a tomorrow. It speaks of there's a future, and no matter what happens in that future, I want you beside me. You see, without love, there's no joy, there's no happiness. In fact, the Scripture says that in the last days, God will take His Spirit off the earth, and when He does, He's going to take that Spirit of love, because the Scripture says that God is love. How powerful is that statement that when God's gone, the love for men's souls are gone, the love, the, the love of the church is gone, the love and the compassion that a body of believers will reach out to a community with in the time of tragedy, that love is gone. It's amazing that how God has spent time and eternity building a place, a habitation, a a, a, a place where, where, where love can grow. In fact, in the very early times of Scripture, in Genesis 131, the Scripture says that God saw everything and pronounced it very good. God saw the difference between day and night, and He said it was good. God saw that He had separated the waters from beneath with the waters from above, and he said it was good. God separated the lands from the seas and he said it was good. God filled the lands and the seas with animals and birds and fish and snakes and all sorts of, of creeping things and fish and, and, and things that go bump in the night. And God said it was good. Then God created what was thought by some to be the last good thing on the sixth day of creation. And He created man. And He said it was good. Now when I do something, and it halfway turns out like it's supposed to, I think it's good. When I built my pole barn with my son... And it actually turned out to be a square and not a circle. I said it was good. But you know, when God does something and says it is good, then you know that it's good because His measuring stick for what is good is higher than ours. It is greater than ours. In fact, His says, the Scripture says that His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His measuring stick of what is, what is acceptable is far different from what you and I would agree with. Now, can you imagine that in all this goodness that God had created and said it was good, that all of a sudden God stops, turns around, and realizes that something that He created was not good? Because the Scriptures say that he turned around and said it was not good for man to be alone. 
Now, can you imagine how that God must have said, Now, wait a minute. I'm not done here. I need to do something different. I need to change my direction. He saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone, and so he created a woman to be his helpmate. He saw a single man and pronounced, No, that's not good. You see, even one of the most successful bachelors in the world, as powerful as he may be, as, as successful as he may be, is it, is, the Scripture says he's not good being alone. Because God realizes that man is only half of who he is without a woman's perspective. I'm not preaching on marriage. But I'm going somewhere. We're only half a person when, 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 when we only want to do it our way. We become insensitive and we become narrow-minded. We become tunnel-visioned, thinking that, hey, I can do it on my own. But God realized you need something more than just being on your own. You need a help to gain, to, to, to gain better perspective and to find a reason why to move on and so he created woman to, to help you see, hey, here's, here's some, something else that we can do. When a man marries a woman, he becomes complete. I was completed when my wife was with me. When I married her, and I'm still complete with the same woman after 24 years. We've had our ups and downs. But I wouldn't trade her in for a new Cadillac for nothing. <laughs> but you know, it's a, it's a wondrous thing when a man and a woman get together and they start a life together. and We just come to understand that there are certain perspectives that we miss when we don't have somebody of the other gender with us, and I say other gender, especially in this day and age. Why did God create no other animal with speech except man and woman? It was because God didn't want any other voice to speak in the ear of a man and to take him away from the voice of his wife. One of the things that statistics show that there's an 80% greater chance of a woman living longer than her husband. Why? It's because God intended for the woman to be a perfect help for her husband throughout all of his life. But yet we're so quick to sometimes chastise. We're so quick sometimes to say a harsh word to the one we love. We're sometimes, we sometimes fail just to say, I love you. It can go a week or two weeks sometimes without really showing any expressions of love that will engender a, 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 a feeling of completeness within us. Sometimes we need to learn to say a kind word, to, to praise our wife. Billy Sunday, the evangelist, said, try praising your wife, even if it frightens her at first. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. 
Now you notice in that scripture the word cleave. He shall cleave unto his wife. This word comes from a Hebrew word meaning debak kolawo. Try to say that several times. But it means to adhere or to join oneself. According to Vine's dictionary, it's a na- in its noun form, it means to glue. We are to glue ourselves to our husbands and our wives and to not try to separate that. When you try to, part, try to pull apart something that is glued, you will, you will not always break at the joint, but a lot of times you'll break beyond the joint at some place else. And when divorce hits a family... You're not, just, you're not just separating, but you're, putting, you're tearing apart something God put together. We see the word cleave used in the book of Ruth, in Ruth 1 and 14, where it says, And they lifted up their voice and they wept again, and Orphrah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth claved unto her. In essence, the story of Ruth was saying, I don't care where you go. I don't care where you're, where you're going to walk. Wherever you're going, I'm going to stick to you like glue. She had committed herself to Naomi, and she had made up her mind that she wasn't going anywhere without her. She cleaved unto her mother-in-law. You see, we're living in a day and a time where we just seem to have what's called a no-fault divorce. We just say, you know, we just not following the same path. We're not traveling the same road, and and we don't have the same ideas of how I wanna how I wanna live. And so uh, I think it's time that we part company. What I'm talking about this morning is not the issue just of commitment, but I'm talking about the issue of integrity. Integrity or uprightness seems to be a a fading thing in our time, in our society today. That when a person gives their word that they're going to do this or going to do that, it's the integrity or or, or the word cleave that they they don't hold to their word and they they say, oh, well, I I didn't really mean it. Or or they give some other lame excuse of saying, I, I just can't keep my word. When we make a commitment to somebody, we need to keep our word. We live in a time when men, we think that we live in a time where we can just do whatever and not pay the consequence for it. A major part of men seem to have one religion in their youth or in their young age and then another religion when they, they go into their old age. But he who serves God with integrity serves Him with all his heart, every part of his life. When I said, Lord, no matter what happens, whether it's good or whether it's bad in my life, I want you to know that I'm going to serve you. And when I made that commitment, that was over 30 years ago. And I can tell you, I have not always been where I should have been with my walk with God. But I never, I have never given up on God. Even in my darkest hour of, of my struggle, I came in and I sat upon a platform or on a pew. Why? Because I knew that someday, even though I may be cold, 
even though I may not be where I'm supposed to be, if I'm sitting on a pew in a church and a preacher is preaching, one day God is going to get a hold of my heart and I'm going to change that point of view or I'm going to give that thing up that I'm holding on to and I'm going to say, thank you, Lord. And for 30 years I've walked with that integrity of my heart saying, God, I know that one day you can change the situation, you can change the circumstance. I may not be that way, that way today, but I'm going to still do it. I'm going to stick with it. I'm talking about integrity this morning. God's love is being kept before our eyes when He still fills our hearts with His Spirit. God's integrity is that if we will kneel and call upon His name, He will reach out and save us. God's integrity is that it dictates a purity or perfection in our own lives, saying that when I committed this way, that I was going to walk the way the Scripture says, not walk the way the world says, and then come into our church and change the difference in the way we talk. We don't have one life in here and another life out in the world. We have to live the same life. And purity dictate, or integrity dictates the fact that if I say that I'm going to be pure and live my life holy before God, then I need to hold to that standard. My thoughts and my words need to reflect what God is doing in my life. The Scripture says in, I believe it's Matthew, where Jesus said it's not what's on the outside of the cup that's dirty. It's what comes from inside. Our words and our actions and our thoughts need to reflect our walk with God. And if we're talking dirty if we're talking like the world, if we're talking like everybody else, then we need to come down and reestablish our relationship with God and ask God to change it. Many content themselves with just abstaining from, a different type, from different types of vices and think that they themselves are okay with the kingdom of God. That they, they, they don't sin as others sin, but... When we serve God with integrity, we say, I'm going to avoid all appearances of evil. Morality, our morality should dictate what the Bible shows us a good life. Our moral code should grow in the ways and the way the Scripture says is, is right. Many think that if they practice some kind of virtues... That they, if they, they just do good things out in the world and, and do good thoughts and, 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 and just a few words of encouragement that they're all right. They feel a less, less, a, a less repugnance or a, a less vileness or a less... I'm not like him anymore because they do a few good things. Goodness will never get you into heaven. Being saved gets you into heaven. Being repenting of our sins and, and being baptized in the name of Jesus and, and being filled with the Holy Ghost are the beginnings. But the, the thing that gets you into heaven is just not, just not those things, but it's living a holy moral life. Morality dictates how we live. And if we're living an unholy life at home, then our family sees it and our friends see it and our children see it. And it's reflected when they come to church.
there seems to be no difference between church people and the world people anymore. But I want to tell you that there's no gray areas with God. There's no fudging. God's not going to fudge. When God said it was sin, it's still sin. Just because we're living in a New Testament age of grace doesn't mean that we, we can give up on the old law. The Scripture says that not one jot nor one tittle shall fall to the ground void, but it will accomplish that which it is sent out to do. God's not going to do away with His Word. So why do we think that we can go out and sin and, and then just live a, 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 a halfway decent life when we come into our church doors and not live a life that says, I, I'm changed? In Romans 6 and 12 and 13, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Hear the command, hear the cry that Paul was writing, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of unrighteousness. When God said in Exodus 20, 16, Thou shalt, bear false witness, uh, thou shalt not bear false witness against his neighbor. It's a principle that we should not lie. We should not deceive anything or anyone. The principles of the Word of God don't, don't just quit just because we're living in a New Testament age of grace. We still shouldn't lie. We still, still shouldn't murder or covet something that doesn't belong to us. In Proverbs 11, in Proverbs 11.3, I'm going to read from two different versions of Scripture. And uh, first is the American Standard Version. And then another version is called God's Word. But in, 11, in Proverbs 11.3, it says, The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of the treacherous shall destroy them. In God's Word, it says, Integrity guides decent people, but hypocrisy leads the treacherous people to ruin. When we live a half-hearted life, our lives are ruined because we got one foot in the world and one foot out of the world. Albert Einstein said, Whoever is careless with the truth in small matters cannot be trusted with, with important matters. Robert Shank said, It's one thing to debate the elevation of high moral ground. It's quite another to face death while defending it. As long as acceptance is assured by opposing viewpoints, the resolve of the person with integrity remains untested. But when that principle is, has a price tag, the depth of that commitment is discovered. Meaning that the day that this man was talking about came in the life of Judah, when Benjamin was standing as a prisoner in the hand of the Egyptians, and Benjamin had, or Judah had to honor his choice, and he, when he told his father, I, I will be the bondman of, of, of this man if anything should happen. I will, I will give my life for this man so that he will come back to you. In Genesis 43, or 44, verse 33, it says, Now therefore I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, in, excuse me, instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord. 
and let the lad go up with his brethren. Judah had to make a price, had to make a decision. Am I going to honor my word? <coughs> Excuse me. The price of freedom for the boy was not a promise that he would never do it again. The price of freedom for the boy was not giving more money to the, young, to, to, the, to the Lord of the house or to Joseph. You see, the price of freedom for that boy was the blood of another man. The price of freedom for, G, for Benjamin was for Judah to become a slave in the time of Egypt, in, in the life of Egypt. It's one of the first signs, it's one of the first experiences that we see in, in Scripture of the near kinsman redeemer that life is replaced with life. In times before that when Noah got off the ark, it talked about the blood of an animal and the rules or the laws that were instituted were not instituted until later on in life when Moses walked upon the scene, but but this was before that time, and Judah and, and his brothers were before the law, and there was just they were living in, in, a, in, a, in a loose lifestyle of moral, um, however, you, however you want to say that, but they were living the way they wanted to live. But Judah showed himself to be more than what was going on in the world. He was willing to trade his life. For the life of his brother, blood for blood. Could you understand in the mind of Judah how he must have went through so many different mental machinations to where he said, how can I get out of this situation? How can I get out of the fact that I may become a slave for the rest of my life? Can you imagine the, the fear and the and, 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 and the pain in, in Benjamin's life as, as, as he's held in chains or he's held in bondage before his brothers and, and, and he's crying, somebody help me. Could you imagine the, the thoughts running through young Benjamin's mind when he was being held accused of doing something that he never did? But it took the blood of another man to say, I'll take his place. That's the way it was for you and I. All the pleading, all the wishful thinking, all the sayings of I'll never do it again. And time and time and time again, we relent to our promise and we sin again and again and again. Until one day we realize that the path that we're walking is, is a path that leads to destruction. For, for some of us, our, our pathways actually destroy our bodies. We develop cancers, we develop uh, drugs, or, or excuse me, we develop, develop diseases that can't be treated by drugs, like AIDS. For some, there's no healing. You carry that thing till your death, like some STDs. You see, the, when you play in the world, there's a price to pay. There's, there's a cost that goes with it. And uh, I can tell you, I've paid some of that price in my life. I can tell you that there have been times in my life that I, I have never been proud of. 
But my kinsman, my kinsman redeemer came and said, I will pay that price. He set me free from the bondages of my sin and he set me free from death. He paid the price. He set himself as a substitution for what I did wrong. And he said, take me instead. I'll be the, I'll be the price. And God help us. God help us that we take so lightly service after service when we come into the house of God and we don't take uh, 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 reverently the idea that I'm in the presence of God anymore. We're not just another social gathering, but we're into a spiritual warfare that reaches for men's souls. And it's your holiness. It's your living a godly life. It's your lifestyle. It's the way you talk and the way you, the things that you drew that draw men out of the world and say, what's different? Oh, I thank God. I thank God that He come to me. And He said, I want you. I wouldn't have the family that I have if it wasn't for my God. I wouldn't have the friends in my, my church it wasn't, if it wasn't for my God. He set me free. He set me free from the darkness of my past. I don't carry the guilt. I don't carry the bondage that I had in my heart. I am free to forgive. I am free to let that thing go. And when I can't, God takes it. Let me carry it for you. He says, my yoke is easy and my burdens are light. But how, how quick are we that when, 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 when we don't live a, a life, if we don't live with integrity in our lives, we, 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 we set it aside and say, oh, I'll, I'll do better next time. But if somebody else comes to us and doesn't keep their word or doesn't keep their promise, we like to point a finger in our face and say, you're not an honest person. You see, in Ephesians 6 and 24, it says, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. That sincerity is not a a, a, a weak word. It's not a word that is taken lightly. When we we probably don't do it anymore because of emails. But you used to sign off a letter that says "sincerely yours." It's an act of commitment. It's an act of saying, "Whatever you need, I'm here." Sincerity says there's no. There's, there's, there's no falseness between us. Sincerity says that I, I will do everything I promise to do to the best of my ability to do it. Sincerity says that no matter what anybody else does, when I say that I will do something, I will do it. That's what integrity is all about. We may not understand what the expectations of our Christian life is, is supposed to, to expose, but... Scripture gives us clear indications of how our life is supposed to reflect what the Scripture says. And so, 
In, 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 in Philippians 4 and 8, Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians. And in the fourth chapter, he concludes with this, Finally, brethren, Paul sums up all the Christian duties of a man into a single paragraph. He says, Whatsoever things are true, truth in word, truth in action, truth in thought, truth in lifestyle, whatsoever things are true, are to be cherished. Jesus says, I am the truth, and that truth shall set you free. When you live a life of truth, you don't have to worry about the deceptions of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. When you live a a true life, you don't have to worry about covering up a past sin. Truth is truth. He says to live an honest life, worthy of reverence. It says to live a just life, strict in all its dealings. An upright life. He says, to live a pure life, chased from all the darkness, chased from all the sin, chased from all the evil thoughts. We live a clean heart, with a clean heart. It says, whatsoever is lovely, such as deeds as spring from love. So many things that we do today, if we do them for another, it's not, we should not do it seeking to get something else from somebody else, but we should do it because they have a need. Whatsoever is of good report, of which a life of which no evil can be truthfully said. It was Will Rogers who said, You need to live your life as if you were giving your parrot to the town gossip. You need to live your life so that if, if somebody you didn't want to see it saw you doing whatever, you would never have to worry about him talking bad about you. If there be any virtue, let this be... This, let, let he who, oh, excuse me, let, lest he may be omitted from doing excellency, virtue is such an arcane word. To be virtuous, to do it without the idea that I seek it for gain. To be virtuous, I do it because I have a love. I, virtuous is that there is no reward for me. I do it because it's praiseworthy. Let all things of which you give, give in virtuous to your mind. If you look back over, your, if you look back over the life of Joseph, you look at how he lived his life, what a great testimony of how we should live our lives. Because if you look back at Joseph's life, he never went back to his brothers and pointed an accusatory finger at them and said, this is what you did to me. But he lived a life of forgiveness. If you look back at Joseph's life, he never went back to Potiphar's wife. He never went back and accused her of what she, she did wrong. She never, he never went back to all the misdeeds that were done in his life and said... And, and, and did something about it later on when he had the power to do it. But he forgave his life. Or he forgave his, his, the trespasses against him. And he could live a joyous life. He didn't have to worry about bitterness. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, the Scripture says, Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. A life of forgiveness looks past the offense and says, I forgive you anyway. Because that's what Christ did for us. 
That's what Jesus did in our lives. The fact that Joseph was willing to forgive allowed him to live a fuller life. There's an old Chinese proverb that goes like this. If there is righteousness in the heart, there will be beauty in the character. If there's beauty in the character, there will be harmony in the home. If there is harmony in the home, there will be order in the nation. And if there there is order in the nation, there will be peace in the world. Job, one of the oldest books in the Bible, gives a rendition of the seven principles by which he lived in the 27th chapter in verses 5 and 6. The integrity of Job's heart is forever recorded in the Scriptures. But his moral code said, I've I've got some things in my life that I'm not going to trespass against. For one, it says, My my lips shall not speak speak wickedness. Another is that I will not utter deceit. A third principle that he lived by was, God forbid that I justify you in your condemnation of me as a sinner. This is in Job 27. Another thing that he lived by was that I will not remove my integrity until I die. Another principle that Job lived by was that I will hold fast to my righteousness. Another principle that Job lived by was that I will not let it go. I will not let my righteousness go. And the third, or the seventh thing that Job lived by, the seventh principle of integrity that Job lived by, was that in my heart, my heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. In other words, my heart shall not condemn me for as long as I live. That he was not going to go where evil is, but he has decided that I'm going to live a life of righteousness. What is the price of our calling? The Bible says, or the old saying goes that there's nothing in life is, is free. Integrity is in a very important part. Let's stand. I'm done. Integrity is a very important part of your life. It says everything about you. Words are cheap. Words are very cheap to, to, to say. Integrity says, I will live by my word. Hebrews 10, 23 says this, Let us hold fast to, to the professions of our faith without wavering. For He is faithful that promised. We would not serve a God who lied one day and changed His thoughts the next. We would not serve a God who did not keep His word. Let us not be caught in the same frame of mind that the world has that I can change my ways tomorrow. But when we committed our ways and our lives to Christ, it was for the rest of our life. When we stumble, when we fail, when we fall, when we sin... 
The integrity of God's Word says that I have an advocate with a high priest. That if I confess my sins, that He's, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. My brothers and sisters, we have a duty to live according to the promise that we made to God when we came down to an altar and said, I do, I will, I will change. The integrity of your word stands before you today. Are you living what you said you would do? God bless you.